0: Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone.
1: Hi, Nikki mamas, and welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. It's us, your hosts, Martha, and also my dear friend, Ashley. Again, I'll, I will, this entire socially distant period, miss giving you the finger guns to say, <laughs> and now it's Ashley. So I just Same. imagine it in my head. Uh, well, today is actually part two of Justina's episode. Justina Oldehoff is the founder of Carter's Cause. She uh, has a very unique story in that she had three NICU stays in a 12-month period, which is cuckoo Mm -hmm. bananas, um, and also, I think, makes her just a fountain of wisdom for our community. So we're very grateful Mm -hmm. to have her back to talk about the second half of her journey. Uh, Hi, Justina. Welcome back. We're so grateful that you're here. It is so great to be back. Thank you for having me. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we have received a lot of wonderful feedback from your part one episode and uh, we set it off, off air before, but we just want to thank you again for sharing um, that very special um, honoring story about Carter. I think uh, it was the perfect way for us to lead up to Marie Mother's Day and really, mm-hmm. really honor stories like yours. So thank you.
2: Thank you all for the opportunity to, you know, just to, if I can just touch one life.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think you've touched dozens and dozens, if not hundreds yes. and hundreds at this point. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I tell most people about you. So at oh. Least oh. Mouth, because I'm a super fan. Um, so Last time that we left off, you had had Carter, and you were moving through the grief of that experience, and you started um, dreaming and devising and creating Carter's cause, which was incredible. Um, But shortly after that all happened, your story takes another turn, right? It sure did. (laughs) And (laughs) wait for it. It's a doozy, friends. Justina, do you want to pick up from there? Absolutely.
2: Thank you. Uh, So about three months after our first son, Carter, passed away, um, Dan and I were absolutely shocked and scared to pieces to find out that we were pregnant again. And I had actually been on birth control for two months. And somehow this, uh, this happened and we didn't know how.
0: Wait, so you were on birth control when you got pregnant? Yes. Yes, I was. Oh my god! (laughs) That's um, wow! Oh my goodness!
1: Yeah, I I, the listeners will hear, but so many elements of this story just scream that the son that would become Aaron is truly miraculous and incredible. Yeah, it truly is. So, but like you said, I mean, you are fresh off of that grief of loss, that stinging loss that we talked about. So the first feeling is fear. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, and I know you, you talked about this in a, maybe it was a blog post or a post that you shared about, um, your pregnancy, but you went into your doctor's office and you called them right away. And what happened there?
2: Yes. So they, uh, we know their office and, and team so well. We actually, I called and I was hysterical. Um, they calmed me down and they're like, let's get you in immediately for a stat blood test. And so we, um, I called my husband and I asked him, I said, Hey, can you uh, come home? And he's like, you never asked me to come home. What's wrong. Mm
1: -hmm. And I'm just
2: bawling my eyes out um, that I took three pregnancy tests and we were pregnant. And so we went there, did the blood test. And a few hours later, um, our amazing physician who delivered Carter she calls me and she says justina while while she was on vacation my ma just called me and
1: you're pregnant how did this happen i'm like i want to ask i want to ask you how this happened <laughs> oh my gosh. and how when you got that news i mean i you know i i spent several years between my kids i think first of all trying to get pregnant again and so i you know i had um been able to have preconception appointments and talk about that, so I imagine very quickly you started having conversations about high risk pregnancy and what that would look like for you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was um, it was terrifying, and it, of course, immediately deemed high risk uh, because we found that I did have an incompetent cervix in my prior preterm labor, um, and so that day we just you know it was pretty early when we found. I think it was about six and a half weeks and. Um, you know, we talked about getting the first ultrasound done, and then coming up with a game plan of what this should look like. Because we weren't, we were told not to get pregnant before October, and so mm-hmm. that was another element that, you know, of course, scared me, is my my body wasn't fully healed.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, what were the first conversations with Dan like, other than overcoming the initial shock of it, of course?
2: it took a while to get out of shock. I'll be honest. Um, we just talked and, and, and he just knows me so well of, of making sure that I can stay calm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that ride home, we, we really didn't say much to each other because sadly enough, we were not excited. Um, Mm -hmm. that it was not the feeling that we felt with our first, Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. completely opposite.
1: I think that's really important. I think for um, moms uh, who've had high risk pregnancy or are facing a high risk pregnancy, to to know is that those feelings come up and that it's very natural and um, and that it's okay to feel that way. I mean, what else? What else could you feel at that moment? You know. Um, and I I got to say too, I think what, one thing I really enjoyed hearing about in part one was about your marriage with Dan, because it's, um, it's really a unique and special one. And I love the fact that we're, we're uh, showing and displaying different types of partnerships out there. And, um, Ashley and I are both extreme extroverts, if you haven't noticed. And we're very, <laughs> very, um, we wear our heart on our sleeves and we, we uh, vocalize a lot. And so uh, to hear about the way that you've moved through these different um, points of your marriage was, I think, really incredible. I just admire how you give each other space and know each other so well. I I thought that was really cool too. Um, and so I'm just imagining you two in that car and, and just allowing each other to sit and move through it because what else can Mm -hmm. you do at that point? Um, and did you, how did you go about telling your friends and family? Well, we, um, oddly
2: enough, uh, his, my his parents were flying in that day, and the March of Dimes event was the day after.
1: Oh my gosh! And, so,
2: <laughs> and so the the timing's been pretty interesting. So we of course told our parents first, and while I had that phone call, we had just picked them up from the airport, and I was bawling oh. on the phone with my doctor, so kind of had to tell them.
1: Oh my um, gosh!
2: And it was just interesting because as much as I wanted, like, I did not want to tell people, uh, we needed our close knit group of friends Mm -hmm. to know, because if, you know, at that point it was, well, if, and when something bad happens, I need that support. I can't just live in a, in a silo. Mm
0: -hmm. So how did your family respond when you told them? A
2: lot of tears. Uh, Mm -hmm. they, you know, I think for them, it seemed as though they were happy, but also fearful. Uh, Mm -hmm. and it was, you know, another chance, you know, for them to be grandparents to a child who's here with us. And, but again, it's knowing the journey that we just went on and, and what if that journey repeats itself? So a lot of Mm -hmm. fear. Mm
1: -hmm. Were there any, resources or individuals or I mean at this point you were slowly kind of developing your social media presence and your um, outreach in the community were there any resources that you cling to or you looked at or you books that you read anything like that when you first heard or were you more like I I need to stick with my medical team I'm I'm gonna follow them what what helped you So a few things.
2: I I actually reached out to a few moms um, on social media through our foundation that I've interacted with quite a bit. And they went through the loss journey and were now either pregnant or had had their child. And I actually reached out before I told, uh, you know, before we really made it known to anyone else that we were pregnant. And they were the next batch of people to know, because I, for me, it was, how did you get through this? I needed someone who's been there. Uh, you know, as much as our friends will, we know will be there for us. It's different when you talk to someone who's actually been through it Mm -hmm. and they, I, I got just a wealth of knowledge and advice from them. And it was pretty incredible to, you know, you, you have these feelings of you're pregnant, you're not excited and you live in a constant state of fear and anxiety and, you can't find joy in being in, in being pregnant, and to know you're not alone is huge. Mm-hmm. And I did actually the best book that I read um, was from uh, the healthy high risk pregnancy called Pregnancy Brain. <gasps> Tarija Desbande. Yes, oh, we love her. <laughs> I love her too. She, I had actually reached out to her as well. And I read mm-hmm. that book and I tell you, uh, there is, there was not another book that I would recommend. Like that would be my number one. Mm-hmm. Um, it was incredible. And it actually, when I would have, you know, some minor contractions here and there, uh, I, I would go back to what she said in her book and it actually helped me as mm-hmm. crazy
1: as that sounds. It actually works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh. I'm so grateful um that you found that at like at the right time that you needed it and that it was beneficial yeah. to you. Um I I uh I can definitely see too why reaching out to others felt more natural or, or the more and more natural step of progression um for you because you don't have to um Preclude everything you say by explaining medical things. like you say, they they just understand it, and um because there's the commonality, there's less of the feeling less feelings of of guilt and shame that come up. And that is that's a really empower empowering and encouraging thing, I think, for women who might be facing it too. I think reaching out to others as a uh, who have gone through it is huge absolutely.
0: So, Justina, when did you and your husband feel comfortable making like a public social media announcement? Did you keep it a little more, you know, private and to yourself and your close loved ones? When did you feel like, okay, we're ready to tell the world?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, a lot of our journey had already taken place before we decided to tell the world. We did not do it until I I was reaching my third trimester. Sure. I didn't even tell my work at that point, you know, I didn't, we did not tell, we didn't want to tell a soul.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you're guarding your heart too. Absolutely. It's like protecting your heart from response. And so because you had a high risk pregnancy, what were your appointments like? Were they more frequent?
2: Yes. In the beginning they were every two weeks and then it was um there came a point where we we did them every one week and so one of the very first things that i had done was actually at 15 weeks um i received a cervical cerclage and started a weekly progesterone injections mm-hmm.
1: Which is really like a very elegant spa treatment. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> mm, yeah, really sounds like it, right? Getting <laughs> <laughs> a shot in your tuchus every yes. every week. <laughs> exactly. The high-risk mamas go through so many things to keep their babies safe, and it's really incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked a little bit before about being on bed rest. Was that, yes. Did you um, immediately go on bed rest? Was it concurrent with the cerclage placement?
2: Yeah. So I actually really those, all those fears that we had were, it kind of became a reality um, for us. And that, that fear in saying, you know, we could lose him at, at 18 weeks, my cervix actually started to shorten. And that was really the journey that was predicted that had happened. That happened with Carter, and so yeah. I was then put on bed rest at 18 weeks, along with daily progesterone, um, and not weekly any longer. Mm. Wow.
0: Daily, oh my goodness, wow!
1: Um, when you, as someone who's been in one of those ultrasound appointments where they tell you that you've shortened to oh. you know such and such length, um, what did it feel like? You know, for you and Dan, you know, you're laying on the table. Um, and I feel like when you're have a high risk pregnancy, you also become like a pseudo ultrasound technician. So because I'm like, I know yes. what that is. I know what you're talking about. I know what this is. Um, yes. How did it feel?
2: Oh, it was. I, I remember looking and and you know because you start to learn the texts and you know and when, when they don't say anything and or they're they're looking more at something. It's like okay, what's going on? And I remember the doctor coming in and and sure enough she shared that my service is starting to shorten and i just sat there in shock and i started crying and i at that moment i said to myself we're going to we're going to lose him and i was scared beyond belief
1: mm-hmm. oh my heart hurts for you in that moment it's just there there's no there's no other feeling but terror in that moment. Um, yeah. I always felt, and I don't know how, how it was to you too, but really well-meaning, wonderful, lovely family members and friends would say things like, I know it'll be okay. I know your baby will make it. It won't be the same this time. Um, and of course, they, they just want to love and comfort you. Um, and we harbor no ill will to them, but it's that you just can't convince um, a heart, a loss, a heart that has experienced loss of that. Um, was that your experience too?
2: Yeah, we, you know, I, of course, as, as with anything in these, these journeys, um, you know, you get a kind of a mixed bag of responses and, you know, I, I'm one, I, I used to be positive Polly, like everything, you know, there Mm (laughs) is, everything was, had a happy ending. And I, obviously that changed for me. And so when this scare happens and we're feeling how we are, Mm -hmm. the last thing that I want is for someone to say, it's going to be okay. Right. It's because you, we don't know that. And actually things aren't going well. And so being that, you know, positive reinforcement, you know, people, you know, it kind of feel like you, they need to do that. But, you know, this isn't like I'm breaking up with my boyfriend and, you know eventually one day it's going to be okay um and i'll realize that this is a whole different circumstance and and i do think that support systems need to be cautious with uh knowing the person that they're talking to and what they what they need at that moment and sometimes yeah. you just need somebody to just listen or just say i, I hear you
1: oh mm-hmm. uh, that's that's really wise i think and you talked about this a little bit last time that you really were so specific about cultivating your support system so they knew how to best serve, you know, serve and take care of you. And um, I think that's one of the hardest parts about compassion that we don't know is that we have a culture. Where we're going to try and fix it because we love yes. people so much, but sitting in pain is sometimes is all we can do and all other people need. I think that's really wise what you say there. Um, so, you have this surplus placed, you go on bed rest. And what does daily like look like for you then?
2: Well, first I was put on bed rest at my home because, you know, at some that juncture and when you're 18 weeks, there's, if I lost the baby, there's not really much that they could do. And so my daily was, I, I actually worked from bed rest and my husband, he literally waited on me hand and foot. And Mm -hmm. the doctor said, you know, she needs to get up every, every once in a while. But he said, absolutely not up to (laughs) the bathroom, up to shower. And that should be it. And so he, uh, he built a little like wood thing on my couch so that I was elevated. And I mean, it was, it it was, it was amazing of, uh, you know, of course to have him because he knows that I if he wasn't home at those, some of those times that I'd probably just walk around myself. And so um, (laughs) it was tough. It was really, really tough when I was at home on bed rest. Um, You know, my dogs just wanted to lay with me and uh, I just wanted to get up and move.
1: And were you feeling contractions at that time?
2: I was not, I was not yet feeling contractions.
1: And then what changed next? What was kind of the next Mm -hmm. turn in the road?
2: Well, we, um, we had a few scares. Uh, I would weekly, uh, always on a Wednesday or Thursday for, for some reason. I, we found ourselves at the hospital because I had, um, some fluid leaking. And because before what I thought was normal fluid leak, um, this time it was, I'm not taking any chances no matter how small it is. And so mm-hmm. we went in immediately. For, I mean, this is, this was for weeks. And so, About three weeks later, I think it was about 21 weeks or so, my cervical length was gone. Um, I was to, I think it was like 0.03 centimeters or something. And um, that was down from three centimeters when I got my cerclage placed. And it was at this time that we started to have difficult conversations with the neonatal team. Uh, I had a call with them of the possibility of losing another son.
1: Oh my goodness. I um, I think one thing that uh, is, is difficult in a pregnancy, a high risk pregnancy after loss too, is you have to, um, you know, you obviously have emotions and you engage with them, but you also have to be a constant observer of your body. You have to be the medical expert on your body. So you're having these very sterile medical conversations with with your providers, but it's about these very emotional and real outcomes. Um, so when you said that about having that conversation, that's what it, it struck to me. It's it's having these very straightforward conversations about potentially the worst event of your life. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. And what was after you have this difficult conversation of you were 21 weeks and, um, you know, viability hovers between 23, and 24. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what was the action plan with your providers?
2: We had to, my husband and I had to make the decision of at what point do you, we, you, you know, if I go into labor, do we want them to try and save him? And 23 weeks, it's really, really low uh, viability. 24 weeks was when we had Carter. And so, you know, while it's better than 23, we still, that's that's all we know of 24 weeks. And, you know, my husband, it was, you know, at first he was like 28 weeks. And, you know, just because you're like, I want to get through this, we have to get through that. And, um, we both we agreed on at twenty four weeks if I were to go into labor that uh, we would want to make sure that they tried everything that they could
1: that's such a that's such an impossible conversation to have with your spouse i mean yeah. and and challenging and um between two young and healthy people it's that's a really hard thing um yeah yeah thank you for sharing that part of it i think um you don't imagine having to do that thing, so it's a really it's a it's a gift to I think our audience to know um, what the realities are of this, and and that's so hard. Um, at, at that point at twenty, uh, when you realized you had virtually nothing left, um, uh, your cervical length. Did they admit you to the hospital?
2: Uh, they did not because I was still only at twenty one weeks, and and basically the notion of. Uh, if I went into labor, if my water broke me, uh, us having to drive to the hospital, isn't going to change whether the baby survives or not at 21 weeks. And so we had to have a conversation of when I would be admitted knowing that, you know, if, if I can, if I stayed pregnant and, you know, there would be a time when, um, every minute's going to count when I go into labor. And so at 23 weeks and six days, which if anyone listened to the first episode knows that that's when I, you know, our world turned upside down in my first pregnancy. Um, so another irony for us, uh, I was admitted to the hospital and that day we were given the first round of steroids for, um, you know, to develop baby's lungs. And I was to remain on hospital bed rest at that point.
1: Because so much of this story echoed what had happened with Carter already, how how did that feel in your mind and your body?
2: Oh, the PTSD was real. Uh, It was, uh, you know, they always say, well, don't compare pregnancies and don't compare, uh, you know, uh, other situations. But when you're in it and things are just, so similar, it's really hard not to compare and not Mm -hmm. to be so terrified every day for what you know now could happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, was there, you know, you obviously have a wonderful support system and amazing partner. Um, Were you talking with them actively about what you were experiencing in terms of the PTSD or was there not enough time to, you know, because everything was happening? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I talked to some of my you know, my closest friends and would have conversations uh, around how you know fearful I was, and you know because we've had such a strong support system, they felt it with me, and yeah. and you know when you go through that and you share intimate details, it they are living in it with you,
1: so twenty three and six you're in there, and I assume also on top of all of this, you're seeing some of the same nurses and doctors you saw before yeah um, uh and I as much as they love you because we love you and we've never met you in person. <laughs> I imagine they were uh want wanting to see you again not in in the context of being a patient um how did that change your relationship how did it change your um the way you experience being in a, in a medical hospital setting, because you also work in a medical setting. Yes. You know, having the same
2: team, um, nurses and nurse practitioners and physicians that took care of us before it truly, it was incredible because they were there and they knew, they knew that if something happened, no matter how let's say, quote unquote, minor, it was that I would feel it's minor. uh, They were there to hold my hand. They were there to cry with me. They were there to know when, you know, there was times when I literally would throw all my pillows and throw my blankets off and I'd have, I'd be claustrophobic and they would come in and, and, you know, they gave me incense and then all this stuff. And like, it's, they, they became our family.
1: I'm so glad that, you know, obviously I, I, maybe this is a weird way to say it, but I'm grateful for you that, that there was a team there that was just completely going to surround you with whatever you needed. And, um, obviously that's what you would hope for in this situation. Uh, what were the other things that helped you get through every day? Because from experience, I know sometimes it's minute by minute, second by second, Mm -hmm. and you had, you knew yourself so well, um, enough to, Dive in to research and learn from others, but what were the things that, the tactics and the coping skills that helped you get through?
2: Well, getting outside when I could. Uh, I was only allowed out once a day for a wheelchair ride, um, and I always wanted to make sure I took advantage of that as much as possible because you know it's it's tough being indoors um, constantly in a hospital. And I read, uh, I actually reread that pregnancy brain book. And I would also I had um, some care packages delivered to me, I had people come visit me in the room, uh, some of our friends and still being able to have that human interaction. And, you know, my first weekend there, we were supposed to actually be in Hawaii and for good friends of ours uh, wedding and instead our one of our other good friends came and uh did a luau in in my my room and best Uh, friends
0: ever (laughs) oh yeah
2: and facetimes everyone that was in hawaii and so it was things like that that really helped me get through
1: Oh my gosh. You are, first of all, you have the coolest friends on earth. and We really do. I, you, you and your husband like look like characters from like a, a an ABC drama to me anyway, because you're such a beautiful couple. But in my head, in my course, and why don't I have more friends? Like Ashley's my only friend. Um, come <laughs> to Colorado. <laughs> yeah, we'll come to Colorado. Oh my gosh. I, um, I think it's so, uh, one of the things I appreciate about your journey is that you also Opened yourself up, I think, um, because what's happening is so insular, and it's happening to your body. I imagine it was my experience, and for others too. There's a tendency to kind of isolate yourself. So, yes. I think there's probably a really wonderful lesson for mothers going through this that if you open up um, to people that you love and trust, they're going to they're going to meet you where you're at. I think that was a beautiful expectation that you set. That that's a really awesome lesson. Um, so you had all these wonderful things; these people just getting you by every day, plowing through. Um, what I, I'm sure there were events that popped up every day. You know, a few more contractions here, developments. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was the next big event? The next big turning point.
2: So at 27 weeks, my water broke, and contractions started, and immediately it was you know it was chaos again, and and the team started magnesium after two hours of contractions to help protect the the baby and gave a second round of steroids for lung development. And I was immediately started on antibiotics. And it it was that moment. um, it was about three in the morning, and I remember calling my husband, and we were like, "This is it. You know, he's 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 coming." But <sighs> the contractions actually wound up subsiding uh, later that evening
1: i and the way you have to i imagine mentally bolster yourself like okay delivery is happening tonight and then for it to kind of pull back and say oh just kidding i mean that must be it have been exhausting for you it's it was (laughs) dreaming it really was yeah and so they they walked it back um were you put on any kind of meds to help with the contractions too
2: uh, the magnesium, well, that's not what it's used for. It actually has helped me uh, get lessen the contractions. Um, mm-hmm. But that was that was really what we were holding on to because we we thought it was time.
1: <laughs> wow! Oh my goodness! And so then that helped you get a few more weeks.
2: Yes, two weeks and three days. Um, wow. Yeah. So about a couple of weeks later, I began to have contractions again um, at 29 weeks of three days.
1: And did you have any instincts like you did the first time that these, that this meant that Aaron was coming?
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: You know, I, if there was one thing that I can
2: say is trust your body and trust your instincts. Um, I knew something felt different and I had contra I had pretty intense contractions and, you know, you can see that they're they got more frequent. They became less spread apart and, but there was no sign of anything. And so they started early, way early in the morning and, um, I was examined and my cerclage was still in place. So we're like, we were banking on the cerclage because the biggest decision that we had would have to make is do we take the circlage out first and see what happens? Um, but the circlage can rip, and that sounds terrible. Um, so it's it, it was kind of this game of well, we don't want to take the stitch out, and then all of a sudden things happen quicker than they should have. But also we don't want the circlage to rip, and so I was in. I was having, con- I had contractions for 15 hours
1: that day.
0: Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh.
1: Oh my gosh. On uh,
0: top of like the mental energy it is to yeah. like be going back and forth of, are we
1: having baby? Are we waiting? Like that would right.
0: be so exhausting. Yeah.
1: Oh my goodness. And um, what ultimately did they decide? What did you decide with your care team? I mean, like what a battle, 15 hours. Yeah.
2: Well, my, you know, my physician, she, she consulted, um, one of her partners and a good friend of hers and our high risk doctor. And, and really what they came up with was if we'll leave the stitch in, um, since I'm not, uh, you know, it's still intact. If I have any signs of an infection, we have to take it out immediately. And so we agreed to that and, you know, Dan had a really hard time with that just because, you know, for us, it was the stitch and the bed rest that had saved us this entire time. And, um, sure enough that night I spiked a fever and we, why we, they kept checking my temperature. We had taken my, um, blood was taken a couple times that day and we wound up taking blood again. And, and sure enough, I had high white blood cell counts and, later to know that we had the, the chorio infection, which was the same infection that we had with Carter. Mm. So at that moment, at that t- moment, it was immediately decided that the cerclage had to be moved. And, I uh, come to find out I was four centimeters dilated behind my,
1: the stitch. Wow. So, um, the four centimeters thing, that's a huge, uh, shock. I imagine. Um, and then I imagine too, things start picking up pretty quickly. Things
2: happen faster than we could process. Um, the, so the baby's hand was actually presenting itself. And (laughs) so when the physician, um, you know, she realized it and she goes, it's like, it's time. We, we can't buy any more time. And, I just remember bawling my eyes out and I'm not ready. And, you know, while yes, 29 weeks, there's still, (laughs) there's still anything could happen at that point. And so uh, it was, uh, it took a lot. And I had, when Dan came in, right when they found, you know, right as we were doing that exam, I had some of our incredible nurse family, um, they sat on the bed and they cried with me and there was probably five of them. And I just remember they're, they're holding my hand. And, um, we then there was, I was very, very nervous of having others care for me that I didn't know. And because they don't know our journey and our story. And so, our nurse practitioner that took care of both, you know, care her both boys now, and of course our physician, and then um, one of her partners, we, we became very close with. And I said, I have to have these certain individuals and including, um, you know, a nurse that I knew and was close with. And this actually magically worked itself out to where they were all back from vacations at the same time. And two of them came in on their night off their day off, uh, to be there. And it was absolute chaos. You know, they came in and they were there with us. Uh, We were rushed to have an emergency C-section. Um, and then 58 minutes later, Aaron Parker was born.
1: And how, how was the delivery? Were you awake or were you Uh, under? Yes. Oh no. I was awake. I,
2: I had an epidural, um, but it was terrifying. And it, you know, it was so scary because I remember so vividly, you know, having this same conversation, and there were there must have been fifteen, eighteen people in the room, mm-hmm. and the NICU team, and um, both of the physicians working on me, and and it was just, it was crazy, and I remember Dan, he just went, oh my god, and I looked over. And they were almost done. I, um, with the C-section and he said, look what time it is. And it was nine Oh six. And that was the time that Carter was born. And I, if I hadn't gotten nauseous, literally I got nauseous at that moment. Um, they probably would have been born the same time. Um, and Aaron was born two minutes later at Mm -hmm. nine Oh eight. Wow
1: incredible. And I mean, how, what, what were the mix of emotions you were experiencing? Because that's a lot to process. Yeah.
2: Everything. I, you know, I wanted to be excited. Um, but I was so scared. I was traumatized already reliving this. Um, when they took him out, the first thing that I remember the physician saying was like, Oh my gosh, he has so much hair. and. he started crying and it was more than two cries. Uh, You could hear him cry and the NICU team worked to intubate him. And um, Dan said, don't watch. Because I remember watching with Carter and um, I, I couldn't watch because I was so scared that that was going to be it for him.
1: I mean, there aren't, there aren't any words of reliving. And I mean, for you too, it's, it's the same doctors, it's the same nurses, right? So like you said, there's no way that you can't be um, living in the moment, but also reliving the trauma at the same time. It's impossible. Um, How quickly was he taken to the NICU? Did you get to see him or touch him uh, beforehand?
2: I did get to see him. I didn't get to touch him, um, but they whisked him away pretty quickly. And it was, you know, another one of those moments where they, they whisked him away and Dan went with and there I was again with, you know, thank God I had all the people I did around me and the nurses and our clinicians. And um, I, I was in recovery for about two hours with just horrifying pain and oh, no. waiting for waiting for Dan to to come back and you know the nurses kept making sure that I was up to date that they were working on him and so far so good
1: okay and and so they were keeping you up to date but i imagine well i shouldn't imagine what did what were you feeling were you excited to see him were you completely freaked out about going back to the nicu
2: i was scared cuz i I didn't know, like, I couldn't wait to see him, but I, but I almost didn't want to because I didn't know what I was going and walking into and, yeah. you know, in the NICU, anything. And things changed by the minute. And it was, I was scared to see my son for the first time. Isn't that so sad? And I, when I did see him, I, I just remember, I vividly remember just lighting up and crying and, um, being able to touch him and, and hold his hand. And, um, it was definitely while that fear was still there, that was the first moment that I actually felt some happiness to see him.
1: I mean, it's, it's really beautiful. And obviously tragic right because it's you can only live up to the next moment for with that child to see what's going to happen next for them and um obviously it's different right you were you were able to engage and touch with Aaron right away and um can mm-hmm. I ask how did you choose his name
2: so interestingly enough this uh this was Dan's idea and and he said we we had a list of you know our names and Aaron was not in that list um Dan came to the hospital one day while I was on bed rest and he said, I think I have the name. And he says, Aaron. And I was like, Aaron, like where did that come from? That came out of left field. And so he looked it up and Aaron actually means mountain of strength. And we love the mountains. Um, and I think one of the biggest reasons is that Carter was buried um, close by our home that actually looks over the mountains that we can see from our house. And we knew that Carter, of course, would protect his, his little brother every day. And what better way to honor Carter in Aaron's name um, by calling him that mountain of strikes.
1: That's incredibly beautiful. So
0: beautiful. Thank you.
1: Did you feel Carter's presence? that day did you feel there were moments of his memory peeking through in the experience
2: uh, hands down uh I knew without a doubt in my mind especially as time went on that I started realizing things that he was there uh this he had his hands in this the entire time and continued to do so
1: I That's so beautiful and I'm so grateful you share that. I think um uh it's one of the ways that your story models how children who have lost can can be present in their siblings' lives on earth. And I think that's really that's really spectacular. Um what did you notice about Aaron when you first met him, when you looked at him and were able to inspect all his fingers and toes and look (laughs) at that gorgeous head of hair? (laughs) Well, I noticed
2: that I um I create boys that look like their father. Mm. And
0: <laughs> he
2: has big feet, long long limbs, um same nose as his dad, same looks like the same knees as his dad. I mean, I was like this is um, his child, apparently not mine because I don't see me anywhere in here yet.
1: <laughs> Isn't that just the rudest part? Like you do all this it work. <laughs> I'm just an incubator. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, much more than that. Um, <laughs> and was, was, was he alert? Was he aware? You you mentioned he was intubated, So I, you mm-hmm. know, there is, Something there blocking their face, so that that can be a barrier. But um yeah, was he awake? Did he have his cool Billy light? Oh uh, yeah, sunglasses on.
2: <laughs> he did, so I couldn't see his eyes um at that first, you know, that first moment. And you know, when I put my hands in on his hand, he grabbed my finger, and so mm-hmm. I knew that he knew I was there. Yeah.
1: yeah. I love. I think that's so beautiful. I mean, that's you know, it just echoes Carter's experience too, right? They just they know they knew and they love their mom. Um, mm-hmm. It's so cool, and it also I think it proves to the audience and to the listeners that um, even if all you can do is just be present with your NICU baby, oh my gosh, that moves mountains, right? Yes. Yeah. And how was he looking? What were you hearing from the providers about um, about Aaron? Well,
2: they they all knew the story behind Aaron's name, and they were so they couldn't have been more pleased with his progress and how he was doing. And he was actually extubated the next day, CPAP the day after, and then nasal cannula within two days.
1: Oh, rock star!
2: Yes, so. They would always say that, you know, he may be, he may be tiny, but he truly is a mountain of strength.
1: Yeah. I love that. That's so cool. I'm very, his name is prophetic. Oh my gosh. Yes. Look at him go. So, I know. um, how, how was it to be back in the NICU? I mean, the NICU is the site uh-huh. of, of the worst experience of your life. And it's also the site of the, the miracle, uh, of the continued health of Aaron. Yeah. Um, you know, you have two different children, two different walks. What was that like to walk through it again? At first I, you know, I,
2: I held my breath every time I walked in that door and because I knew, you know, while Carter had done good at, uh, that first day and I say good lightly, uh, Aaron was doing good. And I just knew that when I walked in that door, things can change. And so while I had hoped that this would be a different journey, nothing anyone said could make me believe it until he got home. And
1: yeah.
2: it was, it was scary. It was, um, why, but but watching him hit milestones and us being able to celebrate them, that was so crucial for us.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like your NICU team, because they, they knew you so intimately from Carter yeah. and Aaron that, um, they were rooting for you in a whole, at a whole another level. Oh, they, Aaron was
2: like their, their own child and yeah. I, that was the, you know, part of it was I, uh, you know, at first I was there all the time and then I had to go back to work and I knew that, I knew that he was literally in the best hands because I would get pictures, texted to me of them, you know, taking Aww. a selfie with him Aww. and, um, you know, our amazing nurse practitioners that we had, they, you know, they also took care of Carter and they the same thing with the nurses and they had a different level of investment because they wanted to do everything in their power to make sure that he lived.
1: Yeah. I, I it's it's amazing. It's one of the I think the miracles of both Carter and and Aaron's stories is these these incredible medical care providers that you've um like you've said they're your family now. So Yeah. Um, I, so how, how long was Aaron's stay total? And during that time, were there any big milestones or, uh, hoops that you had to jump through things like that?
2: Yeah. So we were in there for 49 days with him and, you know, I think the first seven days are so important. Um, you know, every day is important, but the first seven days for us was especially important. Because on that seventh day uh, comes that brain scan, and we didn't make it to that seventh day with Carter. And I remember for us, it was, I think the the nurses and physicians, they, I think that they had to do rock, paper, scissors to to uh, say who was going to come tell us um, that day about Aaron's brain scan, because they were so excited and that came back normal. And that moment was, it it was an incredible moment because that was the biggest thing that we were worried about at that moment in time.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, And that same day he was off of phototherapy and then back up to his birth weight. So day seven for us was just so amazing. And, you know, we, we did have our challenges and I think just on a, from a mom standpoint, you know, those eye exams in the NICU are brutal. Oh, so you were there, you stayed in the room. Oh, absolutely not. But I saw the thing that they, oh my in gosh, I, and it, oh. it was on the oh. counter and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so for me, yeah. hurt my heart every time, as I'm sure anybody listening who's experienced the eye exam knows how terrible it is. Mm. Um, but that was just more of me being uh, emotional. Um, you know, I would say the one of the biggest challenges that Dan had were the Brady's and that drop in, in heart rate and making sure that he could bring himself out of it. And he actually had Brady's up until about five days before he went home. And Dan had a really, you know, they're very scary and, you know, the teams, you know, it's normal, it's normal. But for us, it was nothing's normal. And, uh, you know, Brady's freaked us out and more so for Dan, I think, than anything. And there's times when he just he couldn't do it anymore and he'd have to leave. And, you know, it got too much at times. And, and that's OK. Yeah. Um, And I think that the The biggest challenge that we faced was the moment uh, I believe it was day twenty eight, and Aaron was doing so good with weight and um feeding and just he was doing so amazing. I remember coming in and they and they do a twenty eight day braid scan and now that I think about it, we actually I don't think that we've shared this with anybody, so they did a brain scan on him and they found that he actually had a brain bleed. Mm. And mm. that, you know, I thought that day seven, like he was clear. And um, I remember when our nurse practitioner hey. and the physician told us at that moment, it was, I, I just, my stomach was, I was, I was sick. I was physically sick. And, you know, they they couldn't say enough and, and they truly did everything that they could to say it was barely a grade one and it had already, um, I don't know what the clinical term is, but it had already stopped. And so what they can tell in that is that it was very minor that stopped. But that moment brought me back to the day that we lost Carter. Right. And I was... I just was ill. It when that was for me. That was that was the moment that I had the worst PTSD of of that stay. Was that moment?
1: I'm so sorry. That's so. I'm I'm I feel viscerally for you. I think, um, you know, what we know about trauma is that you it 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 narrows the window of tolerance for any level of stressor or obstacle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think when you have, when you lose a child, um, and you're present and it's in this really specific medical way, and then you have to watch your next child go through the very same thing, uh, it does not take much for you to just fall immediately back into the trauma, you know, and what can anyone say to you to say, uh, you know, uh, you know, for, for me, I know it was. I knew this was going to happen. Uh, you know, you're waiting for the other shooter, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. And so when it happens, it's like, it's just the biggest gut punch. I mean, um, and, and you, like you said, they, they mentioned it's, it's small, it's barely a one, but what, how did it change how you were in the NICU? You know, did you take time off? Did you, um, did it change his care plan? How long did it take for, for you to kind of process throughout all of that?
2: Yeah, it it, you know I trust the both of them so much that the nurse practitioner and the physician that were telling us, and I know that they would not try to reassure us the way that they did, knowing how I cling on to any kind of grain of of hope that there is. But they literally said, "Justine, this is not going to impact him in any way, shape, or form in his life." You know, honed in on how minor it was, and uh, I kept remem- reminding my. I had to keep reminding myself that I know that she would not look me in the eye and tell me everything's gonna be okay if it wasn't. And I clung on to her words every day, reminding myself because after that, it, it it was, I guess you would say, a mute point. It was kind of like case closer there isn't an issue and so it didn't change anything it was just that emotional moment for me
1: yeah yeah and I I think that's really it's good for our listeners to hear though I think that you say that even though the reality of it is it's going to be okay it's hard to convince your nervous system otherwise so it's okay if you're pulled back into that it's it's what your body is is your body's fighting for you really in that yeah. moment and that's that's really powerful to know yeah. um so you have that 28 day news and how we' how what's next for for Aaron how does it progress with him
2: oh, well things progressed rather quickly um he always really enjoyed pulling his feeding tube out oh, and rude. <laughs> so rude um and it also really weirded me out that he just wanted to do it all the time he hated it and so day 44, he pulled his feeding tube out and the uh, medical director had called me and she said, well, he did it again, but we're going to try to keep it out. I said, okay. And she says, and also we'd like to do circumcision and this and that. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of stuff in one day. Okay. And I, you know, I didn't do <laughs> anything of it. And so I, I got to the NICU and he had, he had this like list of six things that were done in a hearing test and, and all these things. And I remember one of the nurses came to me and she says, can you bring a car Steven tomorrow? And I go, can, okay, can we, can we like take a step back? Why? why? <laughs> she says, well, because he passes this, this, he has to pass the seat challenge and there's some others and he has to have his full feedings for um you know a certain amount of time and I was like you mean to come home and she was like yeah I was like oh my god uh, I got I gotta I was like I gotta go oh
1: I literally gosh. have
2: nothing ready I nothing because we didn't really do anything because we were scared the entire time and so I came home and I told my husband I said Hey, so if Aaron doesn't have another Brady and he finishes his feedings and stuff, um, they said he can come home, and we didn't say
0: anything to each other, and we both
2: are like frantically going in the house and unwrapping all of our gifts and going through everything, and oh my gosh, for like three hours. <laughs>
1: yeah, and and were you? I mean, obviously they were shocked, but you were were you excited? Were you scared? Were you nervous? All of the above. It
2: was you know of course and at first i was like oh gosh you know when's that other foot going to drop again and is he ever going to stop having those babies? and but then a part of me was like are we actually going to bring a baby home and it hit me like i we're actually going to bring him home
1: yeah so you get ready to bring him home and of course it's it's something you've never done before right bring yeah. bring a baby home from the nicu so Uh, We've heard from a lot of other moms that it's kind of bittersweet saying goodbye to that NICU family. And for you, they've known you a long time. Uh, What was it like saying goodbye to the NICU? Oh, it was bittersweet. I
2: was so scared, and you know, to just bring him home because obviously I have no idea what I'm doing. And but leaving my safety net, leaving the the ones who help make this happen. And even the labor and delivery nurses, like they would even come over, they'd visit. He had a visitor from L and D every day. Mm-hmm. And just knowing that he wasn't gonna have those interactions every day, you know, it really broke my heart because they are all his he has a lot of aunts.
1: And so mm-hmm. it was all the above. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And and what was it like actually driving with him in a car seat and walking him through your front doors and having your dogs meet him? You know, I. Oh, my gosh.
2: It was first we had to parade him around the hospital. And so he went to every (laughs) department that he had interacted with um, out of request from them. And our physician came and everyone was holding him. No one wanted to let go. And we had our nurse practitioner, one of our nurse practitioners and uh, two of our nurses, um, you know, they all took care of both boys and they walked us out and I was just crying. And I got in the back seat with Aaron and I was just, I, I was in just absolute disbelief, honestly, to this day, I still have moments of disbelief and, Walking through that door was, um, it was something it was like, well, okay, well, what do we do now? <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know what to do, but he, um, went to the bathroom and so we knew what we needed to do as the very first thing that we got home. And so <laughs> he graced us with that on his first date, his first moments home. So it was, it, it was just disbelief, but also this feeling of being so proud and so
1: excited, but still scared. Yeah. Yeah. So as a mom who's experienced a loss and you've had a postpartum period without a baby, you know, you've had this time where you've come home and and your baby's not with you. So then having a NICU stay that really echoes what's happened and then you come home and uh, you know, you've waited for six weeks for the other shoe to drop, but Aaron's a mountain of strength. And so he's done really well. I mean, what are those weeks at home? Like, what would you encourage, you know, moms who have gone through that to, to do for themselves in that time?
2: Soak in every moment. I can't, I couldn't stress enough that it's, it's incredible, especially when we bring a baby home that they're not even, you know, he was 36 weeks. And so he was, he's not even supposed to be on the outside world yet. And I appreciated so much now that I can look back on it to say, wow, he actually gave us 11 weeks that were bonus weeks with him here with us. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think soak it all in. And and my second one, um, you know, I wrote a lot about this. Is it's okay to get frustrated? But I challenge all of moms, you know, especially if they've been through this journey or not, um, is to always love their cry. And you know, for us, we he cries and we both smile, even in some of those just you know, days where you want to pull your hair out because you don't know what to, you know, you don't know what's going on. Um, but always appreciate that cry because they're there with you.
1: Right, yeah. And and the, the cry means that they they are here, right? It's, yeah. the, it's the first thing you heard from him and um, yeah. that's really powerful for your story. I totally see that. Um, and of course, you know, this all happened not that long after Carter's life. So yeah. um, what tips would you have for moms? What what skills would you encourage them to gain for walking through life with a newborn while also mourning the baby you didn't have on earth?
2: It's okay to have those feelings that seem to be mixed and not right. Um, I, there are days when, that I still have where I'm just so happy, but it's just a bad day for me because I miss my, you know, his big brother so much. And to me and my husband, we want to make sure that, you know, Aaron knows his big brother. And so we talk about him and make sure that, you know, he will know who his brother is. And I just think it's so important to know that those feelings that come across, that they're okay. And they're, let's say, quote unquote, normal in this not normal journey. Let yourself feel those feelings and um, seek help when you need it. I have, you know, I've, I've had a journey with a therapist because there's so much to work through, through pregnancy after loss and parenting after loss. And just the NICU alone um, has its own challenges. And so your mental health is so important.
1: Yeah. I, I think what m- moms could take away is that uh, from your journey, from witnessing what you've described to us in, in the two parts of your story, uh, is that you're a very self-aware person. And, um, it was hard, um, and challenging and there were constant battles that you went through. Uh, but I think from what you described, because you knew yourself, you immediately gave, gave yourself or gave yourself permission to get what you needed. Um, you know, I heard that from when you described, um, how you and Dan communicated in, and getting what you needed for the time after Carter's death and in those last moments of his life. And, and so I can see you as this great model that we could all follow for treating yourself with the utmost compassion in every moment.
2: Uh, I couldn't agree more with you. And, and in addition to that is, um, you know, we, we truly know our bodies best and, it is okay to speak up, and you you know you know what's going to be best for you. Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, you're you're your best advocate, and you're your baby's best advocate. Um, and for those listening, I would definitely recommend that you uh check out uh some of Justina's writings on the Carter's Cause uh, web page. We'll be sure to link that in the descriptions too, because she writes very prolifically about. All different types of things, but definitely touching on maternal mental health and um, grief and loss, parenting after loss. I think there's a lot of wisdom. I love it when you post new ones because I, I, I really see a lot of comparisons in our story. And so I, I love being able to um, hear your wisdom. Well, thank you again, Justina, for sharing
0: about Aaron. And he truly does live up to his name. And we're so grateful that you've we got to have two episodes with you. And we will eventually be doing a part three, too, because the story is not done. And so (laughs) stay tuned for part three. Justina, thank you for all of the resources and support that you offer to moms. And as always, mamas, we will link in the show notes how to connect with Justina and Carter's Cause. And uh, we hope that if there's any moms here today that have had multiple NICU stays that you feel heard today, that you do not feel alone. So we hope you have a wonderful week, and we will catch you guys next time. Thank you.
1: I appreciate it so much. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the
2: Sisterhood.